0: My name is Reagan Gillen. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and so we're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning, those that are tuning in from home, or I know the young adults are on their retreat right now and they're tuning in, Um, and so we're glad to have you here this morning. So we've been in this series called Unmentionables, and frankly I think it's been our best series ever in the history of all time, because I wrote it. But no, I've been really, really excited to speak, especially today, on the topic of shame, which is weird, because I usually don't tackle pretty heavy things. You know, I try to keep a little bit lighthearted and a lot of humor, which there will be some of that, I promise. Um, But I've been reading, I've been researching, so I'm I'm very, very excited. Although part of me feels like, why am I even speaking when the person, Brene Brown, exists, who does... Her whole entire research, her entire career is, is wrapped around shame and vulnerability and different things. Um, I think I've got a picture of some of her books. If you don't know about her, there are some of her books. I would write her name down. I would go buy them, check them out, whatever you, however you want to read them, podcasts what, or audiobooks, whatever. You need to know her. So the thing that really got her kind of out And the public eye is this TED Talk. And I don't know if you knew, but there's a lot of TED Talks, like a lot of them. But hers is number four, the most watched TED Talk, clocking in at 35 million views, okay? So she knows her stuff. And this is a part where you feel like an idiot because you didn't know who she was. So that's your first shame. Does it feel nice to be called an idiot? It's nice, isn't it? But as I've been looking at this shame, I I realize that it absolutely is an epidemic. It absolutely is an epidemic. It's everywhere, and we don't even realize it. Because we carry it, it's kind of manifest in different ways, it comes out in different ways. Maybe how we originally got that shame feeling, it comes out in some other way that's not even remotely connected. Because it's just there, and we don't even realize it. Dr. Kurt Thompson, who wrote this book, The Soul of Shame, that I've been reading very closely, as you can tell, with all of my tabs, he says, you know, you don't need to have a mental breakdown to experience shame. All you need is a pulse. All you need is a pulse to know and feel shame. And Dr. Brené Brown says that shame is the swampland of the soul. And so today, we're going to drain that swamp. See what I did in there? <laughs> So today, I want to look at two stories that talk about, are really about shame. And maybe you read them, you don't realize they are, but they are. And one is very familiar, because it's in Genesis, and if you've ever started a Bible reading plan, you started in Genesis. You may have not got very far in Genesis, but you probably at least tackled this story. And the other one is a little bit less familiar, maybe you've heard it, but you've never probably heard a sermon really diving into it. Because I think it's important to look at the two ways that shame comes into our lives. So the first one is going to be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. So interesting pick for a story about shame. But as I was reading it, as I was praying about this message, this is a story that came to my mind. Because this first story of shame highlights that maybe the shame that we carry has been thrust upon us. It wasn't of our own doing that someone else put it upon us. See, shame doesn't usually just show up on its own. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's usually from some situation, some conversation, or some relationship that brings shame upon us. It's left us with a sting of shame. And so this narrative of how we feel about ourselves, how we look at ourselves, what we think about ourselves, is usually based Because of what someone else has said, what society has said, or something else. And often, it's not necessarily what is said, it's how it's said. We all know that. In premarital counseling, you know, or if you've ever been in a fight, it's like, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. But we know that just this shift in the emotional tone can bring about shame. Or also, you think about how much communication is nonverbal, how that can bring about shame. So how does that relate to this story? So I want you to use your imagination with this story about this woman. So we don't know how old this woman is that's in this story. We don't know maybe when her ailment started. But let's say that she was 12 when it started. It's a pretty normal age for most girls to start experiencing this. And so she probably is at first a little bit excited. She's, she's a woman now, right? But we know she's 12. She's really still just a girl. You're still figuring out who you are. But her other friends, the other girls in the community are also experiencing this. And if you're familiar with Jewish customs and laws, is, um, during this time, a female is kind of put to the side. She has her own little thing. She's kind of, because she's deemed unclean, and so she needs to have that time, and then once she's done she gets to enter back in and go about her merry way so at first you know she's maybe she's with her friends and it is exciting like i'm a woman i'm experiencing things but quickly she realizes hey something's not something's not right something something's wrong and instead of getting to enter back in to her usual life she is she's stuck And as time goes on, she begins to feel more and more isolated and more and more alone. And most likely, the message that is starting to see, because people are going to start to notice, hey, why is she still there? Probably the message is, yeah, you are so, you're unclean. You're gross. Something's wrong with you. Something's broken. Get away from me. Don't touch me. And so what she's left with is is incredible shame incredible shame, and it's not her fault, but it's been thrust upon her to feel this way. Now, most of us probably, even if we can feel pretty negative about ourselves or have that negative self-talk, usually there's at least some little voice in you that can still maybe encourage you or uplift you a little bit. But because this, this community or this custom or whatever you want to call it has told her for 12 years that something was wrong with her, that she was broken, that she was disgusting, that she was unclean, that she didn't belong, that's what is the narrative in her head over and over and over again. That is what she believes about herself. And so she has this incredible shame. Dr. Kurt Thompson in this book, The Soul of Shame, says this, When I perceive that I am receiving the shame from a community of voices the pain can become unbearable. When the collection of the voices of an entire community shames us, it is much more and be due to our inability to locate it centrally in any one place. And so when I feel shame in my family or in my church, addressing it feels quite overwhelming. I would like to leave that quote up there for a little bit. Because I think we need to sit with that. When an entire community of voices, the pain can become unbearable. This quote really, really hit me hard this week. And I started thinking about it, the implications of that. And my heart started to break for a lot of people. I started thinking about um, our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and how for most of their life, or maybe they're still experiencing it, are told that they're gross and that they're disgusting and that they're embarrassment or they're abomination or whatever it is. They've been told that, and so they have incredible shame. Or those in our black community, for the picture that society has painted about them, that they're to be feared or that they're less than or they're not good enough or whatever it is. And so they actually carry some shame. They actually believe that they're not as good as the rest of us. And those with learning differences, how they're told, well, you won't amount to much because you can't do this, maybe this one thing. And so they feel like, well, I can't do anything. So they don't apply themselves because they've been taught, mm, you're not smart enough. You're not talented enough, you're not good enough. And so they carry shame. Or those with disabilities who believe that they're more of a burden than anything else, and the shame that they probably carry. Or maybe even, I know for me, being a female, sometimes I feel incredible shame for being a female. That I can do a lot of things, but you know, I'm never going to get there because I'm not a guy. So there's a part of me that has shame, too. And I know there's a lot of other things we could think of, but those are the ones that kind of came to my mind. And so all of these situations, they create a narrative that we have all these people walking around in the world that feel like they're not good enough, that they have this shame because someone or something or society told them that they're not good enough or they're broken or they have issues or, or whatever I mean hurtful hurtful things have been said to people so this woman's story is a lot of other people's story maybe it's your story and do you want to hear something really frightening I know you're probably feeling really low right now I'm going to take you a little bit lower it's going to feel really good here in a second do you know, researchers realize, um, after research, um, they've been thinking, hey, when do when do we start to feel shame or maybe start to understand it or feel the implications of what shame is? Researchers and studies have found that as early as 15 to 18 months old, 15 to 18 months old, we can start to process and feel shame. I was thinking about that, and I've read, you know, never use shame as a parenting tactic, but then I read that, how they can know that at such an early age. And remember, don't forget that 60 to 90% of communication is nonverbal. So think about when maybe your kid asks you to play with them, and your response is, they start to feel like, oh. Did I do something wrong? Am I not fun? Am I not lovable? When we roll our eyes, or maybe when they come back and they're really proud of their A minus or B plus, and we have that look of disappointment. It's interesting reading this book, The Soul of Shame, where he talks about a lot of his patients and how most of their stories do come from their childhood. And I know we probably all know something some conversation or some relationship that happened to your kid that has carried us our whole life, that it's always in the back of our minds. See, shame shapes us. Shame leaves deep, deep wounds, and they can live with us for a lifetime. And so shame becomes this underlying thing, it tangles up. Shame really is this swampland that just stays there. This is why shame can be an underlying problem of addictions, eating, eating disorders, anger, violence. Shame has such a big hold on us and we don't even realize it. And that's why, important, why it's important to talk about it, why it's important to work at it, why it's important to bring it to light. Because shame is something that is ruining our lives. It's ruining our relationships. It's, it's keeping us from knowing the goodness and the beauty of God and how we can live in this abundant life that Christ promises because shame has tangled us up. So I started thinking specifically as the church, what kind of message are we sending out to people? Are we contributing to shame? I hope not. But I'm afraid we have. In fact, I know we have. And What about in your own circle of influence? What are you talking about? What are you putting out there? especially the people you love, but maybe people you are just acquaintance with or people that you work with. What kind of message are you sending? Are we contributing to more shame for people? So I wonder, this shame, what kind of message can we be, what kind of message can we send as the church? How can we help people battle this shame thing, which I'll get to, But I want to look at the other side of shame, how it comes. And it's a familiar story found in Genesis chapter 3. And it says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked for a woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was a woman who gave me, you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. First of all, Adam, you're such a jerk for blaming Eve. (laughs) hate that story but this story is so funny because Adam and Eve immediately what do they do they immediately hide right they immediately hide they make a mistake and so they have to do whatever it takes to make sure that no one finds out spoiler alert there's no one there to find out except God who already knew but isn't that funny that they immediately, I mean, they physically are sewing things to, to cover themselves so they're not found out. And that's kind of what shame feels like, right? And so what, what do we do when we make a mistake, when we do something wrong? We quickly lie or we distract, try to throw something off. You, you run, you hide in order that you're not found out, right? People can't find this out. If they do, my life will be wrecked. I'll never make it anywhere, whatever. So we, what we do is we start to collect all these secrets, and we have this closet, really, internally, that we've got all this stuff, and we keep stuffing it full, and we have to keep it up. We have to keep up the lies. We have to keep up all these things. And what we don't realize is that doing that breeds more shame in us and then disconnects us from everyone and everything. Shame interrupts connection. Connection. So the only solution we've convinced ourselves from the very beginning, the only solution to when we make mistakes or do things wrong is to hide, to shove it down, and never speak of it again. That's what shame convinces us to do. And shame is so awful. Shame is so awful because it makes us believe the worst things about ourselves. The worst things. It convinces us that we have something incredibly wrong with us and we're horrible and that no one will love us and all these different things. And so we can define everything about ourselves sometimes from one moment, from one mistake. We make up our mind who we are. Like when you think of yourself, it goes back to whatever you did, that one moment. You're like, well, I want to believe this, but I did that. So I can't be that. I can't be good because of this. And often enough, the worst thing that we believe about ourselves, it's not even true, it's not even true, but we've convinced ourselves, shame has convinced us, no, it's true, that's who you are. See, shame is different from guilt because guilt says, I did something bad, and shame is, I am bad. Shame is nasty. So if you've been coming here for a while, you know that Scott and I's favorite show is Park and Recreation, and it's the most happy, positive show in the entire world of history of all kinds, you know, for all time. You can't help but watch it and then just feel good. So we've watched it probably, I don't know, 25 times through, I don't know, you know, it's Parks and Rec, Friends, Office, and just on a rotation, right? Everyone does it. But we've been looking for a new show that maybe can give that positive feel. So i have been watching this new show called Queer Eye. So I think we have a picture of the Fab Five. Yes, yes. So if you're not familiar with the show, it's it's these five gay guys and and they go and they meet these people that have been nominated by either a friend or a spouse or or maybe a coworker. And they go specifically to help uh, make over them and maybe they also redo their house, or one episode they helped with a community center, one episode they helped with a fire station, and they help men and they help women, they help gay, they help straight. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But it's interesting, as I've been watching this and as I've been preparing for this message of shame, you know, they meet these people that are a little disheveled. They don't always have the great appearance, and maybe their life is a little bit in chaos, they're messy and different things. But as they're talking to them, I realize, oh, a lot of these people they are helping, under, what's the underlying thing is that they have some sort of shame. One guy said, you know, you, you can't fix ugly. So he, he thinks he's so ugly. And there's one guy that's 33 lives with his parents, which, come on now. But, but he's like, I'm such a, you know, he, there's a sense where he's a loser and he's a comedian, but his jokes are always about himself, you know. And so there's all these people that they meet that really they've got shame. But what these guys do in five days is incredible. For me, when I watch it and I'm bawling my eyes out, which you will if you watch it, what these guys do is really what God wants to speak to us. They're really like the Holy Spirit talking to these people. Because these people they are helping will say, well, you know, I'm this. And they'll go, I don't see that at all in you. I think you're this. No, don't believe that. Don't believe that for one second. This is what we see. This is who you are. So they combat every negative thing with something positive. And you see in five days this, transfer, this transformation in these people where they start to actually believe all the things that the five, fab five have said about them. And it's the most wonderful and beautiful thing because you kind of see the shame literally kind of just break away from them. And so I'd encourage you to watch it because I think the world needs more of that where people are not afraid to speak about things and they've got a community around them saying, yeah, you're worthy, you're lovable, you're not this. Just because you do that doesn't define you. All these messages need to be said. See, the reason these, these contestants are able to start to heal and maybe not have shame is because they're willing to talk about it. They're willing to be vulnerable. So what's the cure? How do we combat this shame that seems to be everywhere and has tangled up? The cure is to be vulnerable. There's no cure for shame except to be vulnerable and I understand this is scary when we think about maybe it's um, personally a mistake we made and we've worked our whole lives to keep it hidden. We've worked our whole lives to shove it down and make sure no one ever finds out. And now you want me to, to resurface all of that and work through that hard conversation or go back to that place and work through that? Yeah, I am. And it is hard work and there will be tears and it will be really hard. But on the other side is something really amazing. And so I understand that it's hard and it's scary and it's a risk. But if we don't attend to this shame, it will continue to cripple us. It will continue to disconnect us. It will continue to keep us from living the life that God has for us. So we have to deconstruct and dismantle all that shame, all the damage that shame has done to us. Because God desires for us to be healed isn't it interesting, the woman in the story, that first story we read in Matthew, is that really at the bottom, she's vulnerable in that moment because she's supposed to be isolated and not to be around people, and she is vulnerable and takes a risk to go see this Jesus person who she is heard can heal. And when she reaches out in the just the most vulnerable way and she touches his robe, and then he asks, someone touched me. And he goes back and he sees her and she sees him. It's in that moment that she can be healed. That shame no longer is part of her story. It's because she puts herself out there. Here's the thing we were designed to be vulnerable. We've been taught from the beginning not to be vulnerable, hide it, shove it down. Don't admit to things, but we're meant to be vulnerable because our God is vulnerable. Our God is vulnerable because he created us, he put us out there, and he made himself open to wounding, to rejection, to pain. He made himself vulnerable to the point where he could be put on a cross and be put to death. From the story of Genesis, God wanted to be known fully, and he wanted to know us fully, and he wanted all of us to be able to know one another fully so we could love each other. Kurt Thompson says this, To be fully loved and to fully love requires that we are fully known. Absolute joy comes not just in my having some random, joyful engagement with something or someone. Rather, absolute joy must eventually include my being completely known. Especially those parts that, are in, that in subtle, hidden ways have carried shame, often without my conscious awareness. This is the language of the new heaven and new earth. I don't know about you, but I am yearning for a new earth a new heaven, a place where people don't have to carry shame, that they can be known and loved fully. You know, I love this church. Maybe you're new to this church. Maybe you don't know a lot of the history of our church, but I love this church because how we really started, how we really started to boom was our founding pastor, Tom Shipp, had a heart for alcoholics. He kind of stumbled into it. But he realized that oh, these people have no one. And if you've been around people and why they're in recovery or someone that has an addiction, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of funny at first. Um, I say funny in the way of like maybe you go out to dinner and you invite them to your home. And most of my experience has been with who, uh, people that are alcoholics and you, you offer them a drink and they go, oh, no, thanks, I'm an alcoholic. And you're like, okay, what do I say next? This is awkward. What do I do? And at first, it is kind of that, like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But I love, I love their vulnerability. They have vulnerability on lock. They know what it means to, to look at something that should be, something that just gives them so much shame. And they say, no, no. I'm not going to let you have the final. I'm not going to let you dictate who I am or what I believe about myself. And I love it. So I think about what if we were more like that? What if we were more open? Because what happens in that moment when someone says, admits to like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, it creates this safe space for me to feel like, oh, I can share something now. Because you know what it's like to have something that wants to weigh you down. I love it. So what would it look like if we were to start admitting to things or what we're struggling with? So shame wouldn't have so much power. So today we're going to do something. There should be a card on your your seat. And what I want us to do today, I know some of you are extremely nervous at this point, but what I would love is for you to write something down that maybe you've carried shame about. Maybe it was a message that you were told. Maybe it was something that you did or maybe it's something that society has told you about yourself that's not true. And I want you to write that down. You don't have to put your name. If you want to be super vulnerable, you can put your name, but you don't have to. I want you. We're going to take some time and I want you to think about it. I want you to write something down and also if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to either but I want you to write something down and then you're going to put it in the offering basket as it passes. And then when we leave today, someone else is going to draw it. We're going to mix them all up. And then what you're going to do is when you pick up a card, is that you're going to commit to praying for that person. And you're going to say, well, what if I don't have their name? It doesn't matter. God knows who they are and what they need. And I want you to commit to praying at least for seven days straight, even longer, because shame, it takes a while to overcome, but what would it look like if we were vulnerable in this moment and shared something, and what would it look like if as a community we surrounded one another, said, no, I'm going to pray to make sure shame doesn't have such a strong hold on you, because I think that's what we need, and this is an easy way to start. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done, but I don't think God wants us to live one more day having shame be the biggest thing that defines who we are God wants us to know that we are loved and beautiful and worthy and have so much to offer so I'm going to pray over this time and I want to say thank you for sharing something and being vulnerable with this community here so let's pray God we are so thankful and also in awe of the way that you pursue us and love us. Even when we make mistakes, even when we really mess up. And we also want to acknowledge that we live in a world that is full of pain, that society has told us awful things, that the church has been part of a lot of wounds for people. But we are desperate for healing. Because we know we don't, that you do not desire for us to live with pain and shame. That you desire a life where we are free, where we have an abundant life, where we feel loved and known, and that we can forgive others and that we can forgive ourselves. So I pray over. Each person in this room that is sharing something, those that are going to be praying, those that are still not quite ready, I pray that you would continue to work on their heart. And may we be a community that creates a safe space. We want to be healed. We want to be whole. We want to be known. Help us, Lord. we desperately need you in our brokenness and it's your name amen